Oh, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have two members of senior leadership of Conquest Planning. Mark Evans, the president and CEO, and Brad Jowdry, the chief revenue officer. Conquest Planning is a next generation financial planning software that's bringing various forms of modern technologies to planning that will help expedite and increase the accuracy and effectiveness of financial planning. And with that, here's my interview with Mark and Brad. Mark and Brad, thanks for taking the time today. No thanks, problem. Jason. Happy to be here. So Mark and Brad are Conquest Planning. Tell us about Conquest Planning. Yeah, so um, from the start, Conquest Planning is is coming to market to really make financial planning more accessible to more Canadians. Uh, we feel like there's a huge gap in the, the industry today with the amount of people that have access to good and sound financial advice. And, and one of the reasons that is the case is uh, because of the length of time it takes to build a financial plan for those Canadians today. And so fundamentally, our, our ethos is built around making financial planning accessible to all. So we're going to dive into what that means because it's a exciting conversation about what that means, quite honestly. But uh, first, let's get into the history of the firm. And Mark, in particularly, I, I want you to get into your general history because it's quite a storied and legendary one in the industry. So I'll let you uh, tell it from your own perspective. Sure. Yeah. I, well, it's been 30 years since we first I first started getting into the financial planning software space going back to actually it was 1989. I was a professor at computer science department at the University of Manitoba here in Winnipeg. And I did a research project with a local financial planning firm to look at the uh, feasibility of building an expert system for financial planning. That project ended up spinning out into a company, EISI. We developed a product over the next 20 years uh, called Navaplan. Spent the first five years of 1990, 1995 in R&D, just working on you know what we needed to do. Came to market in 95, and uh, Investors Group was our first uh, corporate client at that point. Then we, soon thereafter, we added uh, Royal Bank, TD Bank, Bank of Montreal, Manulife, Great West Life, London Life, and so forth. So we pretty much had a dominant control of the Canadian marketplace. Late 90s, the dot-com craze came along, and we went from a quote unquote, fat client system to a thin client system to uh, run on on the web. And uh, we also expanded into the US market. So we built a US equivalent of the tool. And uh, we sold that to Ameriprise, Northwestern Mutual, MetLife, Morgan Stanley, Prudential, who's who of the US financial institutions as well. Carried that through the decade 2000 to 2010. In 2011, we sold the company to a group out of Wisconsin, Zywave, which then became today's Advicent. And uh, I sort of rode off into the sunset at that point, thinking I'm never going to talk, talk about financial planning software again. I started, <laughs> I started doing some philanthropy things and uh, did that for a few years. And then I got back into some consulting in the tech community here in Winnipeg, kind of got the itch again that hey, this might be interesting to do, do it a little bit more in depth. A couple of ex-partners of mine approached me in uh, early 2018 to talk about, wow, we should restart EISI and compete against the, the current provider, Advicent, that was running uh, the Navaplan tool. At first, I was like, guys, starting from scratch, that's a, little, that's a big hill to climb, right? We're going no clients, no product. I said, I'll agree to doing some brainstorming sessions. So we started having some brainstorming sessions at my house. Soon after we were like, okay, we got to start this company because we had some great ideas. The beauty we had was we were starting- The old juices started flowing, eh? And you're just like- started flowing. And uh, we, we soon realized that we had a lot of combined expertise and knowledge and experience. And so we had built this product over a 20, 25 year period 
And when we built it, we didn't know what was coming next. It was like, okay, we somebody throw a new requirement, a new need, and we would adapt to it. But that's not the best way to build something. It's easier once you've done it once to come back and go, okay, now I know what I need to build and how mm-hmm. I can improve it. And I'm starting from scratch and I'm not using technology from the 1990s. I'm using today's technology and I can do it the right way much, much easier. We started building it. We have good relationship in the industry. So we started showcasing it in the fall of 2018 to a number of groups, yourself included, and uh, got some feedback, direction. There was a lot of positive momentum. And we built that up over 2019 to the point now where we have a commercially viable tool that we believe is going to change the, uh, the market. Excellent. And uh, in fairness, it's not the second time around. I mean, you have to rebuild Mavaplan a couple of times, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like all things, it's always better when you, <laughs> when you build it newer and you build it the third or fourth time learning from the previous ones. So before we jump into some other stuff, let's let's talk about first and foremost, what were the gaps that you guys saw in the current marketplace that you said, okay, there's an opportunity here. So what was not being done to the best of the uh, best of what could be done in, in your mindset? Sure. Maybe I can start on that one. Yeah. The biggest thing that I found when, if you look back at the Navaplan tool and other tools in that category, is the whole trial and error aspect of using those tools. That, mm-hmm. uh, that was something that always bothered me. And as I mentioned earlier, the initial research project that we worked on in 1989 was an expert system for financial planning. The idea being trying to embody the knowledge and capability of a financial planning expert into a software package. The tools and the capabilities at that point in time were not sufficient to be able to do that. That's what we have developed now is a tool that actually doesn't replace the human expert, but works with the human expert. And it's designed to actually test the various strategies and approaches that could be beneficial for a client, tailor it to that client, and provide you with feedback on what the best strategies are for the current context. That's the difference that is the fundamental benefit of our new solution is it takes out that trial and error experience that you need. And you could be a great planner with Navaplan. Jason, you're aware of that, that if you learn the tool and you know how to use it, the ins and outs, you can make it sing. But put it in the hands of, of the average user, it's, it's a lot. And where to start and how to know that you're doing the right thing and, you're, and even to know that you're done is a difficult task and the learning curve yeah. is very, very steep. I was just going to say in, in that vein, one thing we also were very conscious of is making sure that the application was built on a strong foundational API. One of the mm-hmm. things we uh, had been challenged by in, in historical financial planning situations or, or just other fintechs in general is that we found that often people would end up working in a vacuum and, and that was intentionally something we wanted to, to put a stop to. We wanted to allow advisors to run their business as they see fit, allow existing go-to-market uh, client channels to exist as they see fit and, and just really provide added value around financial advice um, in an open way. So really not, not forcing change or forcing people to work in a vacuum, just understanding how we enhance business processes for, for prospective clients or clients. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. You both hit on key points I want to come back to, but I'll come back to Mark's first. So, you know, simply a simple example I always use when trying to explain what you just went through in terms of the number of trial and errors is something as simple as when do I start Canada pension plan in Canada or social, social security in the US, right? You got to look at every possible start date theoretically in order to find the optimal one, right? And then then when did you make that decision in relation to every other decision you made on qualified accounts, registered accounts, sales of homes, whatever it is, 
And it's the n squared problem. Every time you add another variable in there, you've basically created a larger set of things that can be tested. So in practice, in reality, as planners, we would basically prioritize certain things we felt were keys of importance, test a few of those, but there's no way I'm going to be able to test 120 start dates on CPP. And then you, you overlay the 60 start dates, was it? Yeah, 60 start dates on OAS. You overlay the, the RIF start. Like it's just, it's, it's not feasible. I could start that process and try to test every last scenario as to what works best first. And I will start that today on a traditional system and not finish for probably a decade. There's just too many variables. So let's talk first and foremost about how it is you are looking, and that's setting you up for this question. How are you looking to cut down on the amount of time? Like what technology or what have you done specifically in this that basically will help us solve for this problem? Well, the first, the most fundamental aspect is exactly what you were outlining there, which is when something changes, you want to be able to react and see which new strategies might be applicable now that you've modified the plan uh, using a set of other strategies. So what we have actually done is we use this strategic strategy centric approach where we have, you know, 50 plus strategies that have been defined. They're standard financial planning strategies like you know, save more to a TFSA, save more to an RSP, save your tax refund, delay your CPP, delay your OAS, different types of withdrawal strategies during your accumulation period in retirement and so forth. So all these strategies, what we do is we built a calculation engine that is so fast, so efficient that in less than a second, we can test all of those strategies against the plan. And we can rank the impact of how those strategies actually will modify the plan. But in addition to that, not just from a numerical, this makes your plan, you know, you got more money or whatever. We also have a more subjective approach, which is allows you to have some planning preferences that will affect the ranking of the strategy. So instead of just ranking something saying, hey, if you sell your house now, that's going to give you a pile of money and you're going to have a better lifestyle during retirement. If the client says to you, I don't really want to sell my house, that will push the ranking of that strategy down in the list because you're now tailoring the strategies to the client's desire. Same thing if they don't like to, to uh, reinvest their, their tax refund, you can ask them that question and then it won't pop to the top of the list as, oh, reinvest your tax refund, yep. those types of things. So we're able to analyze all the strategies, this universe of strategies, every time you make a modification to the plan, whether you're adding more data, whether you're adding another strategy, those things. That makes it consistent. That's the key thing. Computers can be consistent. They can always look at all that set of strategies. Humans often, first of all, as you outlined, you can't look at them all. There's too many, right? And there's too many combinations. But if you were working with a client and it popped to the top of the list, here's the best, the next best three strategies. You look at that and go, oh, right. That one actually is a good strategy for this client. Trigger something for you. You can go in, you can modify that strategy and even tailor it further. So it's not just a cookie cutter solution. And that's one of the key aspects of it. So one of the things that people were initially saying, well, is this going to replace advisors? No, it actually makes their job easier and faster. And they can focus on the things that are key to the client relationship. And can this be a do-it-yourself type of thing for customers? Yeah, to a limited degree. But really, the the role of the advisor and the hybrid solution of humans and computers together is what our ethos is. It's not replace the human advisor. It's to empower them to to work faster, to work more efficiently. And hence, in this day and age, when fees are, are being reduced across the board, advisors have to be able to service more clients in order to keep the revenues up and be able to be productive and effective. 
Well, to do yeah. that, you be more efficient. And I uh, think I'll, I'll also counter or, or move up the level of complexity and service, I think is the other yeah. alternative, which is a little bit more sustainable. So Mark, well, I mean, you hit a couple of interesting points there and I'm gonna come over to Brad for another question. But in particular, first off, I like to, when I saw this, I, I think I had my exact reaction was shut up and take my money because frankly, I realized immediately that this was gonna be able to put together a plan that I, that no human being could. As you said, if you're able to test 50, 60, 100, whatever it is, number of strategies simultaneously within a minute, and then prioritize them not only based on impact, but for lack of a better term, sentiment, like you just said, I think that, you know, again, I could never do that in my lifetime with one case, just the amount of the amount of permutations that is. Secondly, I think one of the things I like that you've you hit on there is you kind of, you, you're looking at this from a mental accounting framework to some degree too, because like the entire, are you willing to spend your tax refund, right? People, a lot of times we as planners just assume like that money's coming to us, right? But people mentally account for that separately. And we can actually, you can actually design the strategies to basically be in the language of humans, which is better than the language of planners. And the last piece I'll say is your comment about replacing advisors. It's funny because I think a lot of advisors who are afraid of technology, the first reaction when they see that is, I'm over, I'm done. And you know what? Maybe if you were the lowest common denominator planner, maybe there's some truth to that. But the reality is, is that I always used to use the, what I call the, the office space analogy. And it's that guy in office space who said his job was to take the information from the clients on what they needed and give it to the engineers. And they're like, can't they just speak to each other? He's like, no, no. And there is some truth to that because what the machine spits out is not necessarily going to be understandable by the human being, right? And the financial plan is nothing without execution. So without the consumer basically, or the investor basically agreeing to participate in that and having someone to lead them through that process, which is something the software will never do, maybe, maybe not, unless you place them with an actual robot. The reality is, is that yes, planners are still there. It's just, we're going to be able to produce better plans faster, which is a huge, exciting thing to me. We can tell you that our, our tool does not produce TPS reports in, in the vein here. <laughs> well, the other thing to that to that uh, degree, though, one of the things that we was another of our mandates was to have a plan that generated actions. So we generate a to-do list. The nice thing about the strategy-centric approach is the result of a plan is a set of strategies to implement in order to take the client from what they're doing now to their target plan. That set of strategies has to be executed in order for the plan to be successful. And those strategies, some of them might be, you need to do them today or within the next month or two. Some might be, oh, when your mortgage ends, you're going to take some of that money you're spending paying down your mortgage and you're going to start to invest it. Or when you get to age 65, don't start your CPP, wait until 70, because that's when our strategy is to delay the CPP. That set of actions, that becomes a communication between the client and the advisor. And it really does take the advisor in order to make sure the client executes the plan. But it also takes the advisor, if something changes in the market, to be able to come back to the system and say, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, don't worry, we got you covered. This is what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to react to this. Here's the new strategies we're going to put in place, or we're going to ride it out because the strategies we have in place are going to handle your situation. In the, so, the of, of activity and, and driving action, uh, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the foundational API strategy. And on the backside of, of the production of the plan is, is where strength has grown too. So if you think about just a general workflow that an advisor has in completing a plan, pushing it through potentially for a compliance review, and then acting and fulfilling against the products that are, are served up or offered as part of the financial planning strategies, we can allow for those, those elements to be pushed out, as Mark said, as to-dos to other systems, whether it be compliance, whether it be fulfillment, whether it be a CRM to create those activities and make sure that they're captured and fulfilled properly. Yeah, that's another exciting aspect of this is that you're building the action plan, which is creating accountability because now it's it's basically there both on a client portal that you provide, but 
flowing through to my CRM, right? So it's, there's no, there's no, a lot of times in our plans, we finished a plan and it's like, okay, what are the action items? And let's make all the notes for the things we got to do and set the reminders. That's not going to be an issue anymore. So that's one aspect of the API uh, benefit. So Brad, one other thing I want to touch upon and elaborate on further is the importance of the API infrastructure you've built here. I mean, to me, it's very exciting because of the, of the realm of possibilities and what can be done, but talk to me about why that's important, especially to the customers, the enterprise customers you're talking to. Yeah, so I think I think about two things. So so one is is workflow and one is is power of the data. So, so maybe I'll cover workflow first. Uh, as, as we talked about earlier in the call, we endeavor to, to make the planning process as efficient as possible, right? And, and we wouldn't be doing ourselves justice if we forced people into a new system, a unique engine to build the plan and then not have any of that data either flow in or flow out. And so by building great workflows that, that like I said, exist with go-to-market experiences or, or uh, generic fact finders that you can find on these, these enterprise institution websites, we can easily capture data, try to present the idea of, of financial planning strategies or next best strategy and then allow them to flow through to some sort of output, whether that be the purchase of, of a product or a more complete financial assessment or, or plan. So I think the first reason or rationale around having a strong API infrastructure is to help with workflow. The other side of it, which which we haven't touched on yet, is is the idea of the power of data. As Mark said, our engine is is lightning quick and and efficiently runs a number of strategies and permutations through the engine and comes up with the idea of next best financial option. Uh, but if you extrapolate that out and think about it at a grander scale, especially as you you talked about with some of those larger enterprise partners that that we're actively working with, they could take that look with with all of their clients in effect. So think back back to when TFSAs came to market, uh, wouldn't it be nice to have a list of the top 10 clients that you should call that would most benefit from from a new product like a TFSA? And so by offering the the strength of the API and, and uh, the underlying data elements, we can really run queries against all of the clients that sit in an entire database and come up with next best actions, not only just for individual clients, but but on a whole. Yeah, I mean, the, the exciting prospect of tax law change happens. I don't have to go into every plan or ask myself, okay, who is impacted here? You guys update the system and then the system spits out, hey, here's everyone who's impacted, the degree to which they're impacted, and I can prioritize based off that. I mean, first off, from a fiduciary client servicing standpoint, you know, bravo. Like that's that's exactly what we need. Secondly, uh, and lastly, from a, from a client, just a, oh my God, this makes my life so much easier, like a standing ovation on that one. That's incredibly powerful. And when you tie back the, the power of that data, the power of the decisioning and the power of those actions with the workflow, and then provide either the advisor or the client, the alert to make action in, in the most logical way, then it just makes everything mm -hmm. more. The other thing with our API is most software providers in the space, the API that they provide is an afterthought. So they built a system and then people, you know, enterprise clients would say, well, can I get access to this functionality or these data sources and so forth? And they build out interfaces to support that. When we designed our system from the ground up, we built it so that we consume our own API. So everything that we're doing in our user experience and our UI is actually going through our API. So we're constantly refining and expanding it, which means that our API supports every set of functions that you see in our system. So everything... I've looked at the docs, I know. Now, I, I think that the, the two incredibly exciting prospects about that are two trends that I think are valuable. So the first is uh, the customization of the client experience, right? Everybody wants to own their client portal, their client experience. And I've often said that, unfortunately, in this industry, we do ourselves a disservice because you may be with the absolute worst planner in the world and the absolute then move to the absolute best planner in the world. 
But if they're using the same software and it gets spit out and put in front of the client, without at first blush, we look identical. And they start asking, like, wait a sec, what's what's going on here? So the ability to actually customize our entire client experience, whether that be through customer portals or or the printed version, fantastic. Second piece, and this is one, you know, kind of a toss-up question for you guys. I mean, the simple fact is you built an engine for a very powerful engine for developing financial planning calculations. The number of ways that people could build over top that is limitless, right? Like essentially if someone decides that they want to develop a niche financial planning software that's unique to the people, I'll pick on, you know, farmers, unique to the experience of what it is to be a farm business and build one that speaks to it, start to finish about that. In theory, they don't have to develop any of their calculations. They literally just have to build their own application layer, utilizing your API to do all the heavy lifting. Exactly. That was one of the other, you know, strategies, at least from a distribution side that we we evaluated and, and was strong for us from the get-go was the ability to bundle or, or I guess, recouple fintechs together, right? So if you think of some of the experiences that are in market, whether they be uh, PFM related or, or robo-advice related or to your comment with respect to farmers, maybe it's very niche to a specific set vertical. of individuals. Yeah. Yeah, vertical. Exactly. We we can throw a layer of, of financial advice and and make those experiences stronger. Then I, I think we're we're solving our mission again, which is to get more Canadians in financial points. Absolutely. So talk to me about the initial response you've gotten from the vendors you've spoken to, uh, from nothing vendors, from the uh, potential clients you've spoken to. I mean, what you're showing them is in a lot of ways a bit of a mind shift for them because this is not the normal course of doing action currently. They're used to other financial planning softwares coming in there and basically having similar inputs or similar methodologies for input and similar playing around to figure out the answer. And yes, some are better in some ways than others. How much has this turned people's brain into a bit of a pretzel, essentially? I think from what are people saying about the tool, I think there's just a general sense of excitement. There's a, a ton of efficiencies that can be gained, as we've talked about already on this call. I think to your point, we have had a few of those aha moments where, where people are, are like, well, does this replace my advisor population? What What is this thing really? How powerful is it, right? And as Mark said, our, our goal from the get-go was to empower the advisors to be more efficient and and the benefit of, of human and machine together is is incredibly strong. I think what uh, what we're finding in, in market is that there's a tremendous appetite for change. There's a tremendous appetite to involve financial planning and for more clients. You've seen businesses very recently evolve into operations where, where people are, are providing virtual financial advice experiences, right? So that's something that is, is certainly different than the coffee table conversations of old. It's just making things more more generally accessible as it relates to it to advice delivery. So as the the business needs change and and the market ultimately is a while or well much more involved than than it has been historically as it relates to advice, I think we're there to to add that extra push to to really bring the advice to life. I mean, what you've essentially developed is a planning as a service platform. Essentially, whether you're a financial, you know, even if you're not building a full-fledged financial planning software, like you said, with the robo-advisors, whatever it might be, if they just want to be able to run, you know, some form of calculation on optimization of RSP versus TFSA and factor in taxation into it, like why build that themselves when they can plug into you? Exactly. And that's one of the things was we wanted that that term planning as a service is exactly what our approach was, is that we wanted to be the planning service, regardless of whether you take it out of the box with our UI experience or whether you integrate it in using an API into whatever tool you're providing, whether it's a robo tool or, or a, a custom experience for a large enterprise client that they want to maintain. So it's funny because I think I mentioned this the first time we met that I had with another friend, Blue Sky, the idea of like an AWS of financial planning because 
when you think about the amount of work that happens when a tax change happens, every development team has to stop, model out how they're going to apply it, understand the change first off, and then figure out how they're going to code this thing. And you think about that multiplied across every planning software. That is a lot of work, right? Versus the ability to tap into one source of truth that they work on it and everybody benefits. And yeah, I remember when, when you showed me this and we talked about them, like, oh, so someone actually, someone else had that idea. Good, good work. Uh, Perfect. So, I mean, we talked about the, the ability of the system to basically find the next best action, to find the next best planning strategy. What else have you done in this to basically, lack of a better term, grease the wheels and make this an easier, faster experience? Well, I think there's a couple other things. One of the things that we've also been working on is the, the concept of uh, what we call a what if or stressing a plan and being able to integrate that into the planning process so that you develop a plan it looks good from based on your assumptions, but now if you want to stress it or do some, what if something changed, some of those assumptions changed, we wanted to be able to make that a very simplistic process and a, a natural process for the both the client and the advisor to understand. So we've integrated that into, into the tool as well. And then the concept of what we call a digital story. So typically the output from a, a planning tool historically has been a very thick document. And in some cases, the goodness of a plan was measured by the thickness of the plan, uh, which unfortunately has a correlation with the client's understanding of the plan that the thicker it is, the less they understand. And they may be impressed by the thickness of the booklet, but they're not going to be able to comprehend, read through it and understand it unless in some cases they're either... Uh, detailed accountant or an engineer who likes that, that type of, of uh, analysis. Yep, but, you're old too. <laughs> yeah, but, but for the, the typical experience, it's much better to have a dynamic experience. So a digital story is like a live report where it's take, take a PowerPoint presentation, put it on steroids, integrate in the, the client-specific information, both the data, the strategies, the results, the graphs and tables and, and key uh, performance indicators that, that are related to that particular client. And that's the experience you get. And then we took that another level and we said, well, wouldn't it be nice if we could do this collaboratively? So Jason, as the advisor, you could be sitting at home in your office and you've got a plan you want to present it to the client. The client doesn't have to come to your office. They could be at their own office at, at their home or at their cottage and they log on on an iPad or their laptop. And right away, you have the same experience. You can walk through the digital story. You can actually take your pen and you can circle things on the, on the, the presentation as it's working, as it's going live. You can write things onto it. You can point things. And the client will see that live in real time on their end. Not an actual pen, though. Let's be clear about that. So. Not an actual pen, <laughs> pen or an iPad. Yeah, yeah. But the concept of being that it's like you're there in real time. And the client could say, well, what if I change this number? And they could have the ability to change a number and say, well, I, I want to retire two years later. Okay, well, we'll see what the result is. Boom, boom, boom. Everything updates right there in real time. And you as the advisor can make changes on, on the planning side. With the digital story still running, you can access other more advanced parts of the, of the tool without the client seeing that. When you're ready and you're confident of it, you push a button, it loads in, and the client sees it on their end. So instead of walking through everything, like in a, a Zoom meeting or a WebEx meeting where the client sees every screen and things can be flying by them too quickly, they're focused in on the digital story. And then we also have a PDF report that goes with that as well. So you can generate a paper document in conjunction with the digital story. But these days- Customized look different, which is also important, but And yes. very customizable because we actually built an editor that- yeah. the, users can use to build their own digital story. And Which I've been have, asking for for 20 years. So thank you for finally getting there. 
<laughs> you've seen the editor. Yeah, it's yeah. like a PowerPoint editor. You basically yeah. go in, you drop stuff in, it's live data. You can see exactly what the output's going to look like on the screen, and then you can run it, test it. Oh, that's great. Publish it to the client. The client can then see it and run it, and they have their yeah. own customized experience from your end. Including multimedia like video. And I'll tell you, I've never been a fan of the concept of reworking the plan in front of the client. I know some advisors will like walk through a plan and like work with the software in front of the client, but I always found it to be a very broken experience. And also just the complexity of what I typically deal with was just too much. Yours was the first software I saw that actually made me think that was possible and then realized the benefit of that, which is I feel like if you take them through, if you have it all ready to go and you start presenting, we've all had the experience as planners where we say, okay, and then you're going to do this as a strategy. And the client says, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to save my tax return. I'm not willing to save 100% of what I was paying to the mortgage. Like, I want to live. I want to do whatever. Things they didn't talk about. And normally, that would mean, okay, I got to stop this, go back to the drawing board, start it all over again. Your plan is nimble enough and does all the calculations fast enough that literally I can go strategy by strategy and build consensus while I'm actually delivering the solution. And if not agreed upon iterate very quickly, which I think, frankly, that sort of exchange makes the plan far more poignant to the client because now it's not, here's the big chart at the end and here's all the things you got to get there. Here's the impact of each individual step. You want to do that? Yes. Next. And go on and go on and we can build it out. So I'm looking very much forward to being able to present in such a method. But see, that's that to me, that's exactly how to use the system. You've nailed it on the head. But that also underlines that concept of hybrid planning. It's the human with the computer. It's not just the computer spitting out and saying, here's your nine strategies. And the client looking at it and going, uh, I don't understand those strategies. What that experience of walking through, getting buy-in, making sure they understand those strategies, they're more likely to understand the plan and actually buy into the plan. And without the human in the loop to do that and have that expertise of how to position strategies from a real life perspective, it just becomes numbers that the client looks at. And it's funny because there's two ideas I get pitched all the time for businesses. Like literally probably every two months, someone calls me up saying that, you know, they started a business doing X. One of them is advisor directory services, which I always just say, just do something else with your life. It's failed miserably a million times. The other one is direct to consumer financial planning, to which my response is always, okay, great. Find me an example anywhere in the world where that's actually worked. And the answer is it hasn't. And sometimes they just don't realize it's, they think it's an open field, but they realize there's a large pile of dead bodies who tried to tackle that, they tried to storm the, that tower and it didn't work out. So you're, you're absolutely right. I don't think, you know, you're right. It's just a bunch of numbers, right? It's a bunch of numbers that unless you understand the logic, why the computer system came to that conclusion, to you, it's just like shrug your shoulders. Okay, I guess it's a bunch of numbers that tell me what to do. Yeah. And I think what we're also doing too, is we're helping advisors who are learning to do financial planning and not just do portfolio management, it will help them learn the strategies and how, when some of those strategies don't apply to a client and when they do, and they'll learn by using the system more about the the nuances of various financial strategies, and that will help them be better advisors to their clients as well. Not to mention the roll up with respect to that too, right? If you think about just in general, it's a a pretty significant or high fail rate for people that try to get into the advice business and and build Mm -hmm. a book. At the same time, trying to learn all the systems that they need to complete various activities in while they're trying to, to grow a book. And if we as as a tool can can be looked at at a global uh, level and understand why certain strategies are being used or not used, it's a great training opportunity for those folks that are with the home office trying to grow the, the advisory practice. Yeah. And this is not a, I mean, the reason why financial planning isn't universally done by all 
people in the business is a there's a there's a competency level issue right you have to basically be proficient or understand systems to a certain level but also like let's go back to the time issue right especially when you're early on trying to survive it doesn't work out well i mean i think uh, michael kitsis has benchmarked the average plan completion time is self-reported at around 10 hours seems a little bit high to me because uh, i'm sure that's that it averages i mean that said i've spent three days on a single plan in the past there was a lot of permutations to that one but that said, it's, you know, is it any surprise that when you're especially starting out and you're, you're hunting for, for food that you don't take the time to spend multiple dozen, you know, dozens of hours to basically work on these things. And you guys have helped really shave that down. I also want to say thank you for bringing data aggregation to financial planning software in Canada. That is the other thing that's been on my list forever. So very much appreciated. Now, Brad, question for you. What yeah. feedback did you get from vendors thus far that kind of led you in a direction you didn't think you were going to go? Something that was kind of a, a shocking, like, oh, they, they want that or they don't want X? Like what did not survive? What belief did you have that didn't survive first encounter with the enemy? That's a, a very good question. I think you kind of hit on it actually with, with aggregation. And I appreciate you thanking us to, to bring it to market. We actually thought it would be an easier package to, to deliver. But what we found, and I, I think it's been a good find, is that a lot of large enterprises are actually looking at aggregation as as a larger initiative than just mm -hmm. something that partners with financial planning. And so although we may end up being one of the re receptacles for for where aggregated data gets gets delivered into, it needs to be a corporate strategy at a at a higher level with a focus on leveraging that that wealth of data with a focus on making things more efficient for clients in in a variety of different ways when they enter the institution with in some sort of digital fashion. But it kind of surprised me. Obviously, Jason, you know, I have history in the, the aggregation space as well. And for a while and, and for many challenges around open banking, the uptake of aggregation in Canada has not been. Um, oh, Brad, don't, don't make me start drinking. <laughs> but uh, what I would say is that we, we thought there'd be a natural impetus to it in planning. And we're seeing that that is correct. However, that that deviation or, or change that, that you asked me to talk to is around how how important it is from a, a global stance as opposed to just within the financial planning arena. Well, I mean, to me, that makes sense. I mean, even though you guys are open architecture, API, and all this other stuff, I think the reality is, is that you potentially represent yet another another kind of silo. And I think one of the trends I am starting to see in the industry is everybody's moving towards more of a data lake, data independence structure, which makes a lot of sense. That said, I'm sure that once you guys start moving into the smaller independent market who can't manage large data lakes and independent systems, they are going to basically just almost break down the tiers at the site of data aggregation for lack of that experience being available in Canada. Yeah, I think from the independent standpoint, we, we we're in the process of setting up a, a very strong infrastructure of, of how independents can get access to the conquest tool and how different aspects of, of other experiences that they may use from a day to day would be tied to it. So we want to make sure that obviously there's value in, in an enterprise being able to pick a number of solutions and tie those together in a nice tight bow. It's often a challenge for the independent advisors, and it's certainly top of mind for us in terms of helping solve that with really a, a strong partnership network. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, before we wrap up the last couple of questions, I want to say one thing. I think your name was aptly chosen because I think uh, <laughs> I see a lot of conquests in your future, quite honestly. it's you've, you've done a wonderful job of nailing this, quite honestly. So last three questions that I ask you both before we wrap up, just to kind of make you think. So, and you can take turns figuring out who's going to go first because it involves some thought. First question is, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? I don't think there's anything I would change in our company right now because I think one of the, that's one of the strengths we've had. Another advantage going the second time around is being able to sort of cherry pick good talent that you know in the industry 
and uh, bring them on board and, and source the right people. So I think we've done an excellent job on that. In the industry, I think the concept of having to be different than the guy across the street, and you kind of talked about that a little bit. That was always an issue with us with Navaplan, and that actually got us into a lot of trouble, where when we first started off with Navaplan, because we didn't have an open API, we customized a bunch of different versions. So we ended up having you know, an IG version, a Royal Bank version, a BMO version, a Meriprise version, and the headache to try and, and maintain that was enormous. Oh. And it actually brought the company to, to its knees at some points. So that we've tried to work ways into the system now to allow that flexibility to have differences, different experiences, but trying to get people to understand that concept of planning as a service is key. And the quicker people can buy into that and say, you know what, having one provider that can actually provide the non-differentiation features is benefit. And we should be lobbying for that. Agreed. And it's, I will say this much, like the, in fairness, APIs weren't a thing when you built Navaplan on, on the cloud. I think not only the, the proliferation of that, but the proliferation of AWS. I mean, a lot of the companies I'm talking to just wouldn't exist without that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's always nicer to build on more modern technology. Brad, your turn. Yeah. So, so from a change perspective within the, our own company, as Mark said, I, I don't think there's any wide spreading changes, but I, I think we actually are changing every day. Mark talked a lot about the the team we've we've built when we kind of started to showcase the proof of concept or product initially into market. As Mark mentioned way back in, in the fall of 2018, uh, the team was was seven, right? And we went quickly from seven to about 12, and then uh, stagnated for a little bit, and and uh, went through a fundraising effort, as I'm sure you saw. And we have 40 people today, right? So we're we're a a, a pretty fast growing business, and so it is frankly, just changing every day within within our office and operations in Winnipeg. As it relates to the market and change, I, I think it's just more a challenge to the market. Uh, I think you've, you've heard us say that we want to get more Canadians or, or more people as we expand our product outside of Canada in, into financial plans. And I think there's uh, a pretense that exists in market that financial planning should only be done for certain client levels. And I think we can make the process more efficient and ultimately drive more financial plans within that, that mass market, mass affluent. Yeah, one of the things I talk frequently about the need to service more Canadians better in general is just about the cost of our overhead systems in Canada, whether that be the dealership systems, but also financial planning represents another form of overhead and the amount of time invested, right? If we can if we can deliver things effectively, effectively cheaper, faster, but simultaneously better. As I've said before, this opens up the market substantially because now it wasn't cost effective to do a financial plan for someone at $50,000. Maybe it will be with enough efficiency squeezed out of the system, right? So it really comes down to us looking at ourselves and how we're spending our time and our and where our dollars are going. And you're part of that solution. Thank you for that. And yes, beyond Canada, because clearly you your conquest does not end at the borders. <laughs> <laughs> it has slowed that a little bit, but we're still uh, flying high into some other regions. We, we obviously want to make sure that we, we get it right here in Canada first. Well, and this is where your Canadian perspective is incredibly valuable, because as we know, lots of you know, U.S.-based behemoths have never been able to leave the U.S. because when, when you build for your market only and then you want to go do something else and you've been built with generalized principles, it's really hard. It's really hard because you basically got to build an entire other system. And I said this before, I think, on this podcast, when you 
I think the one that opened my eyes on this the most was level three, the CFA, which looks at financial planning from a global perspective. It doesn't get into jurisdictional stuff. It talks about commonalities on like tax deferred versus tax exempt accounts and taxation systems. You realize there's so many tricks in the world and there's only so many rules around those, the specialized rules around those. And if you start from the beginning, you can actually build a system that can literally go everywhere with a bunch of customization. So I'm sure the Canadians, guys, Canadians, you have to start thinking beyond this country. So clearly that was, that's, that's definitely helped your benefit of your viewpoint. Second question, what has been the biggest challenge again, the company to where it is today? It actually surprised me a bit, but I, I'd say the round of the initial round of financing that we did, I had thought that given our background and our experience and what we were bringing to the table, that we would have had a wider audience of uh, VCs that would have been interested in what we were doing. I think we ended up settling with Portage Ventures and Eight Roads. They, Portage right from the get-go was interested in what we were doing, was supportive of what we were doing. We did talk to several other VCs concurrent to that, and they just didn't see the vision for what we were doing. Now that we've gotten to where we are now, now I, I get emails and calls from VCs every second day. Oh, do you want to raise more capital? You want to raise more capital? It's that, it's that cart before the horse thing. Until you have raised money, it's difficult to raise it. Once you've raised money, yeah. people want to throw money at you like crazy, right? And we're after the smart money. We're not after just give us capital and we'll figure out what to do with it. It's more about when we figure out what we want to do, what money do we need and what partner, what's the best partner to do that? And I think right now with uh, the people at Portage, we're really excited about the not only the you know the financing we're getting from them, but the strategic thinking and that whole fintech ecosystem that they're building really allows mm-hmm. us fuel our thoughts and our partnerships and our future. So we're, I think that was the biggest thing was I, I was surprised that more people wouldn't throw, given how much money is being thrown around in the world at ideas that are less sophisticated and less thought through. Yeah. And teams. <laughs> the Uber of X. Yes, I know. The, uh, it, it's funny. Um, so you definitely did pick two strategic partners with both of those because they definitely have a history in, in wealth management. And I often joke, I, I once joked with Paul that if I had kept on interviewing his, this number of companies that he's invested in. I was going to start asking for sponsorship. Still unbiased, but it's having spoken to various VCs as a due diligence call with several firms now. I think unless, for us, it's easy to see because we're in it. We've, we've seen the industry, we've seen the challenges, we've seen everything else. And for people looking at from the outside in who don't live it every day, it can be a challenge, right? And it's less relatable than the Uber of delivering whatever, right? It's a highly refined industry. And, and one of the biggest conversations and points that I made was, never mind the competition you could go after in terms of trying to eat their market share. It was also the market expanding capabilities of this in that by, by limiting, by reducing the barrier to entry in terms of time and also helping the new advisors, like you said, by base, by they being able to learn while doing it and find the right solution as opposed to trying to figure out the right solution, it's enormously market expanded. So I think it's not surprising that that was your one. In fact, usually the one of the most common ones is that, yeah, having to raise money every 18 months is kind of a drag is what it is. Brad, your, your answer? Well, the, the, funny, the funny news to that is I guess we, we aren't in that cycle at this point. It seems like the money's starting to find us, which is, which is great. I, I think, as, as Mark said, we, we ended up with two great partners in, in Eight Roads and Portage, and, and we we're very happy. But it, it's, it's interesting when you think about the, the investment side, because a lot of those VCs do have a very specific thesis they're trying to invest into. And a lot of the fintech investors often focus on client-facing or, or direct-to-consumer type platforms. And I, I think 
that became a challenge because we were looking for someone very specific. And, and often they were, were asking us as part of the conversation earlier today, are you going to provide financial planning or provide this tool direct to consumer? And so I think we we took a little while to, to find the right dance partners, but certainly landed those. I would say one, other, one, one other challenge that, that certainly exists in, in our business, I think it exists in every startups businesses, you know, how much is enough as far as a, a V1 goes with respect to getting a product in market, right? So we have a, a very good understanding of, of what advisors are, are asking for. And I, I think that what you're going to see from Conquest is a, a V1 of a product that is a very mature product, frankly. And we've spent a lot of time and, and resources to, to make sure we, we do that. It, it doesn't mean we're going to stop innovating. It just allows us a greater jump off point to grow, you know, our market share and grow our, our client portfolio faster by having that greater feature set. But I, I think that's always a challenge for any business that's starting is, is what's enough and then how much is too much as it relates to getting your, your first product or first V1 to market. Yeah, you're definitely not doing the Reed Hoffman adage of be ashamed of your first launch. No, you'll be, you'll be, you won't be ashamed of it. You'll be proud of it. And it's funny, the entire, something that else that keeps coming up on this show is companies who basically are into a business to advisor market, specific, a large chunk of VCs just basically like, but we're going to just, we're going to automate them out of business. What are you talking about? They're going to be non-existent in the next 20 years, right? To which I say that is such a... Silicon Valley attitude of the entire universe. And I think a lot of them are starting to wake. I mean, just some of the more recent funding rounds I've seen on some business to advisor businesses like Sequoia participating in a couple of big ones also. I think they're waking up to the fact that, oh, wait, Wealthfront didn't get rid of all the advisors. In fact, they're stagnating. People seem to really like this. Maybe there's a reason for it. So I think that sort of attitude is probably less going to be less prevalent going forward because they'll learn. But yeah, it still exists. So last question for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're doing and gets you up in the bed in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight, especially because this is not the first kick at the can. You've been at this more than once. So what is it that keeps you going? Well, I think it's just the enthusiasm that we're seeing for the product and within our within the company, the people we have and how quickly we are evolving functionality. You know, we have conversations on a daily basis with people that we're in some cases exposing the product to for the first time. We get their feedback. We take that feedback into consideration. We brainstorm. We have multiple brainstorming sessions per week. And the amount of progress we're making in like an hour session, even all of us working from home, has just been those sessions are just if you could sit in on Jason, you would you would just be just jumping off the walls with the amount of, of ideas and, and just the, which begs the question of why you haven't invited me to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is some confidence, you know, right? Uh, I don't have an NDA sign. Okay, fair enough. The conversations you have with Ken Latakia are ahead of product, right? Like, yeah, you start talking about what we could do in that, and just the fact that we haven't come across a single thing yet that we couldn't do with what we built as our, our basis for the platform. It might not be that we can't, we're not going to do it next week or next month, but we will be able to do it. It does fit into our model. And that aspect of it, that the model is expanding and it's working from what we originally thought about, you know, on paper two years ago, sitting around drinking a couple of beers, that is now we, oh yeah, we can add that. We can add that. And the, no degradation of performance. It fits nicely into the mindset, the, how you would think about using the, that new feature. That's the part that really excites me is that this is, there, there seems to be no limit to where we can go with it. Yeah. As I described you, when I see you start talking about the product, um, you're my, the only analogy I have is a kid in a candy store right now. So yeah. um, <laughs> always great to see people passionate and happy about what they're doing. And Brad? Well, it's, it's, 
Easy just to end on Mark's comments, I think. I, I, uh, you've heard me say this a few times. We're excited to get more people into financial plans, and, and I think that's a tenant of the organization. We, we've built an amazing team to do it, so that's enough for me. Yeah, I, will, I will make one kind of personal story about us when we, when we first met, because you were still, you were Quovo at the time. And when I asked about coming on the podcast, you specifically said, I'd rather talk about how important financial planning is to people. And I was just like, okay, that's that's great, but you're not working for a financial planning firm, my friend. How's this going to work? So uh, we eventually got there, I think almost two years later. Yeah, it, it's funny. And, and frankly, it, in a roundabout way, led me to, to meet a bunch of the the folks that built the tool that I previously was a part of, right? And, and so I didn't get to do that the first time. And now- being able to do that with with Mark and and the guys is um, is an amazing opportunity. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, uh, sincerely keep it up. I'm not joking when I say your name was aptly um, was aptly picked. In fact, when I mentioned your name to Michael Kitsis, he laughed, saying, "Clearly, they have ambition." I'm like, "Yep, you have no idea." And like I said, is. I'd like to thank you personally for all the input that you've given us over the last two years. It has been extremely valuable to us. I know Ken, our head of product, really appreciates and respects your input. And the fact that you have all of this knowledge with all the, the effort you put into looking at different systems over the years and actually living it day to day with what you do for your clients has been super valuable for us to make sure that what we're building actually is going to hit the mark. And I think the so, way you've done it and the openness that you provided, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for that. Well, thank you for that. I like to say when Ken you know, mentions that, I say, well, quite simply, I just make a bunch of demands and you're fine. And someone's finally listening. So keep it so, up. <laughs> Very much appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the time, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. So that was my interview with Mark and Brad of Conquest Planning. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you found it fascinating. As you have heard, I have been playing around with this for quite a while. And like I said, my first response when I saw it was shut up and take my money. Some very exciting software. I'm very much looking forward to it, realizing its full potential. So as always, this has been Jason Pereira and FinTech Impact. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.